0: Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious
1: lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to
0: light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox
1: crosstown crosstalk
0: hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of crosstown crosstalk presented by the barroom network my name is vinnie parisi and i am very excited for today's show because i have on a guest that i am a very very big fan of of course I'm pretty active on White Sox Twitter. I like tweeting about the White Sox and my favorite team. One of my favorite teams in all sports. You start to get to see people in their content and just the creative side of things. One of the best people to follow on White Sox Twitter is Josh Nelson of the Sox Machine podcast. We are very proud to welcome him in. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Vinny? I'm doing very good. I'm a big fan of your work and I can't thank you enough for coming on our show.
1: Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Absolutely. So before we get into the baseball side of things, I am genuinely curious. I recently learned about the Sox Machine podcast and all that stuff when I was with you guys doing the the 108 grievances on Festivus. That was a really fun time. I enjoyed that more than I could possibly put into words. I told B-Flo a couple months ago, like, I'm so happy to have been a part of that. That was one of the coolest things ever. And that's how I got to know about you. So how did the Sox Machine podcast come to be? Where did it come from? All that sort of good stuff.
1: Yeah, so Jim Margulis, who's the managing editor of Sox Machine, he started Sox Machine during the 2005 season. So he has been writing about the Chicago White Sox for a very, very long time. And he took over Southside Sox, which is still part of SB Nation and Vox Media for many years. And that's where we started podcasting. He and I have been podcasting about the White Sox since 2014. And starting on January 1st, 2018, we decided to reboot Sox Machine. Uh, to go independent. And uh, that's what we've been doing Uh, as far as since 2018. We've been lucky to also now incorporate Future Sox, one of the best, if not the best, resource on Chicago White Sox prospects to provide even additional layers to our coverage on the Chicago White Sox as Future Sox has been around almost 20 seasons. It'll be their 20th season next year. So we we try to be the the best resource as far as the Chicago White Sox baseball. We are certainly the oldest uh <laughs> and longest running doing this for so long. Uh the the joke that uh we usually have is that we watch the White Sox so others don't have to and then we report back on what our findings are, especially when the Chicago White Sox are very frustrating, but we're still we still hold out some excitement that there could be one last dash in 2022 for the team to, to meet their expectations, uh, but we are very stubborn and if they do not. We'll, we'll still be around to cover what is possibly next for the White Sox.
0: That's very exciting. I love that story. You know, you guys, you do a great job and it's it's so evident in your work and people are starting to follow, or not starting, they have been following along. And, you know, I'm very happy about it and so excited for you guys. But, you brought up the 2022 White Sox and kind of how much of a disappointment they've been all season long. What do you make of where they are right now?
1: You know, that's a good question. And there are some people within the White Sox organization for those that work in the media for the Chicago White Sox. And of course, those outside of the Chicago White Sox that are starting to ask very pointed questions about this Chicago White Sox franchise. And it is at the franchise of where exactly is this going? Uh, They went into a rebuild mode after spending quite a bit of money and trading whatever top prospects they had left to win in 2015 and 2016. That clearly did not work. Neither season produced an actual winning record and they were a mediocre franchise. And the whole idea was with the rebuild, tear it all down, try to infuse the fire system with, Brand new talent, which they were able to do that by trading players that were very good on very team-friendly contracts, and Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Adam And the idea and the premise was duplicate what the Chicago Cubs had done, which is build a very long contention window where the White Sox can reach the postseason, not just the back-to-back years, but have a stretch where they reach the postseason four or five years to give you multiple opportunities to win a. The World Series title before Jerry Reinsdorf decide that he wants to hang it up and sell the Chicago White Sox and move on. And right now, they're just two games of 500, and there's only 38 games left to go. And they are five, they're four games back of the Guardians, a Guardians team that has. Easily displayed that they are a thorn in the White Sox side. They play a style of baseball that's very frustrating for the White Sox to go up against. As Cleveland has a nine and five record against White Sox this season, and there you go—that's the difference in the standings right now for the White Sox. If the White Sox do not make the postseason in two thousand and twenty-two. I think there are going to be ramifications on the franchise of how they prepare for 2023. Because I don't believe this contention window is going to last as long as the Chicago Cubs contention window was, which really went from like 2015 through 2020. This might be shorter for the White Sox. And some people might have to fall on the sword if they don't reach the postseason in 2022.
0: And we saw yesterday an example of, What the team could look like on nights where everyone in the lineup is kind of doing what they need to do. I know they didn't hit any extra base hits, which is a problem that we'll get to in a little bit. But Lucas Giolito made the start for the White Sox and he actually had a bounce back start from just an abysmal start a week prior against the Houston Astros. Do you think Lucas Giolito has what it takes to be that guy that he was last night? He didn't dominate with strikeouts or anything like that. Like he once did back, I think 2019, 2020, those seasons where the changeup was working well, the velocity was high, but do you think he could be a effective pitcher like that regularly, regularly moving forward? Or do you think that was kind of just like, he's going to hit going to be hit or miss from now on?
1: I think he's going to be hit or miss uh, looking at the Statcast cast numbers from Baltimore. Lucas Giolito's four-seam fastball had an average velocity of 92.7 miles per hour. The average fastball velocity for a right-handed pitcher in the major leagues in 2022 is now up to 93.8 miles per hour. Let's just round it up. 94 miles per hour is the average velocity of a four-seam fastball from a right-handed pitcher. So Lucas Giolito is no longer throwing average velocity. The spin rate on the slider Was not good, it hovered around 2000 RPMs, oftentimes below 2000 RPMs. To compare for those that are not fluent in the stat cast data, Dylan Cease's slider, one of the best in the game, is around 2800 RPMs. So there's a lot more spin coming from Dylan Cease's slider than there is for Lucas Giolito. What works for Giolito when he has a good outing is his ability to command the fastball and changeup. If he can hit his spots in the upper corners and in the lower part of the strike zone with the four-seam fastball, it does allow him to set up hitters with that changeup. And we saw that last night against Baltimore in which the changeup would float up and away and get some foul balls or induce some weak pop-ups or Giolito can throw the changeup at the lower part of the zone, and with the sink of the changeup, it falls off the table, and that is where Baltimore was hitting ground balls against Lucas Giolito. When Giolito can't command his fastball, you see what happened against Houston. When Giolito can command his fastball, you can see the potential last night against the Baltimore Orioles. So it really depends game to game right now on how Lucas Giolito's fastball is going to act, Vinny, and that is something that can't be really counted on from a White Sox perspective, and that's why I answer it. It's going to go game to game with Lucas Giolito for the rest of 2022, and we'll see on how he improves during the offseason to get ready for 2023. Sure, and in that
0: game reference yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles, we saw a player like Johan Moncada make a Outstanding defensive play to get Kendall Graveman out of Lucas Giolito's mess in the seventh inning. He's been a wizard with his glove all season long. He might actually be in contention for the Gold Glove at third base. There are people that think it. He'll, he might not be nominated. He might. We'll see where that goes. But the bat has just been way too quiet for a lot of people. An under two hundred batting average. The OPS isn't where you want it. The OPS plus isn't where you want it for the former number one overall prospect. So as that kind of player. Where are you on him as the White Sox
1: third baseman moving forward? Yohan Makata is guaranteed $41 million the next two seasons. He will get paid $17 million for 2022, and he will get paid $24 million for the 2023 season. That type of salary squarely puts him in the top 10 of paid third baseman in Major League Baseball. So my expectation is, is that Yohan Mercado needs to play like a top 10 third baseman in major league baseball. And that is at least three wins above replacement because there are many talented third basemen Vinny, uh, in major league baseball. I mean, the cream of the crop is obviously Jose Ramirez and Nolan Arenado, but it just continues down the list and you got budding superstars and Austin Riley, Uh, with the Atlanta Braves that continue to improve every single season. Defensively, there's no question about Yohan Makata's ability to play third base, and he should still be the White Sox starting third baseman in 2022 and 2023. But as you mentioned, the bat. And it's just really hard to hop on the Yoan Makata hype train these days because he'll have a good series like he did against the Houston Astros where he drives in seven RBIs in a 4 game series and he has back-to-back games with a game-winning hit and then he disappears for a week. And when I say disappear I mean doesn't get on base. Uh, Makata was the only White Sox player last night who did not reach on base. He went 0 for 5. And that was a team that had 12 hits and 6 walks. And Makata's not hitting, he's not walking and that's what really drags down his value as a major leaguer. Uh, you know, his defense might get him to one win above replacement, one war. But as I just said, he's going to be getting paid as a top 10 third baseman. So something drastically needs to change this upcoming offseason and Makata's approach where he can rekindle the magic that he had in 2019, where after that season, there were a lot of people thinking that he has not only all-star potential, but he could have MVP type of potential manning the hot corner for the Chicago White Sox. Both Mikada and Lucas Gilito have some soul searching to do in this off season because they are performing well below expectations and both have a lot of work to do to be in a much better form for 2023. And
0: if you flip things over to more of a positive side, being kind of down on a couple of the players we mentioned so far, rightfully so, but one person who's, exceeded all expectations is Dylan Cease. I came into this year thinking that he was going to be the number two and either Lucas Giolito or Lance Lynn based on previous resumes could obviously be the ace of the team. That experience, been there, done that guy, but Dylan Cease's talent was going to elevate him. I wasn't expecting
1: this. Were you expecting this? Well, the question heading to the season is, all right, who's going to be the next Corbin Burns when Corbin Burns won the 2021 National League Scion? Obviously, hotly contested, much debated, as many people thought Aaron Nola should have won the award because he pitched more innings. But Corbin Burns just bursted onto the scene with his amazing cut fastball and slider combination. And if you just watch his starts, I'm always amazed when anyone can make contact, let alone hit for power against someone like Corbin Burns. This is a spin league, and it's a spin sport. You watch minor league baseball. You even watch college baseball. P- pitchers are getting a lot more comfortable throwing sliders as much or even more than their seam fastballs, and that is something that's very different, a drastic change, especially coming from starting pitchers, and Dylan Cease has made that transition very well. His slider is one of the best pitches, if not the best pitch, in all of Major League Baseball. So why shouldn't he throw it 50% of the time if opposing hitters cannot drive that pitch or punish him when he does throw the slider and they are looking for the four-seam fastball? And he's been able to maintain his velocity, and unlike Giolito and Kopech and the other White Sox starting pitchers, uh, since Cease has joined the team, Cease doesn't miss starts he hasn't landed on the injured list yet. So while he is throwing these high spin, high velocity types of pitches, Cease takes the ball and he is available. And the only time that he gets extra days rest is when the White Sox give him extra days of rest and he doesn't necessarily want it. So that was the question preseason who was going to have the surprise year. And there were some that pointed at Dylan Cease to have that potential because of his pitch mix well, that potential has become a reality and everyone in major league baseball is taking notice. And if the season were to end today, I think Justin Verlander still wins the American league. Sayon, young Vinny, but I still believe Dylan Cease is going to garner enough votes to be in the top three.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And you brought up Kopech. He's missing starts. He's got the knee of, You would have told me going into the year that his knee was going to be more of a problem than his arm. I would have been a little concerned, but it's only a 15-day IL stint. we hope, and the last time this happened, he came back and was just fine. Do you think if he does stay healthy, he can reach Dylan Cease's level? Because I, I do think the potential for Kopech is through the roof, but he's got to go out there and he's got to reach that 40th career start, kind of like Dylan Cease has. It took time for Dylan Cease to get to where he is today, and Kopech, he's not there yet.
1: Yeah. The difference between Kopech and Cease is that Kopech missed 2019 and missed 2020 where Cease was in the majors in both 2019 and 2020. And he can build up the endurance and be more prepared for that type of workload. Kopech returned to baseball in 2021 and he's in the bullpen. That's a totally different role than being a starting pitcher. And in 2022, he's being moved from the bullpen back to a starting pitcher and he is still learning at this stage of his career what it's like to take the ball every fifth day. And, you know, everyone's body is different, and Kopek's body is not holding up as well as Dylan ceases, especially his lower half. And that's something that Kopek's going to need to work on in the off season. But when everything is going well for Michael Kopech, his fastball slider combination, is really difficult to barrel up for opposing hitters. And there have been some starts this season where you're right, Viddy. It does look like it's Dylan Cease on the mound, but it's Michael Kopak. I hearken back to his start at home against Detroit, where he pitched six scoreless innings and he racked up more than 10 strikeouts. And of course, his amazing start at Yankee Stadium in the month of May, facing one of the best lineups of Major League Baseball, and shutting them down for, I think, at least seven scoreless, if not eight scoreless innings, if I remember that correctly. I'm with you. Michael Kopech's got a ton of potential, and he's got the potential to be a frontline starter and join Dylan Cease to lead the White Sox rotation with his stuff. The difference between Cease and Kopech is that the White Sox have to be more patient with Kopech because of the injury history, and he's just not ready to take on 150, 170 innings in a season. He still needs to build up to that. But I am pretty excited what 2023 can unfold for the White Sox with Cease and Kopech, because that is quite the one-two punch, and that should match up with anyone's one-two in Major League Baseball.
0: I love hearing that. Over the week or over this week we've seen Gavin Cheeks make a little bit of a homecoming to the Baltimore area. Obviously his dad played there and he grew up in the Maryland area. I'm pretty sure he spends his off seasons living in Maryland as well. Um he's been hot this week. He took full advantage of the the steam that you get from playing at home. Do you think we're going to see the second half Gavin Cheeks that we saw last year going the rest of this year because the White Sox could really use it. He really helped them get that win yesterday offensively.
1: Yeah, I think with Gavin Cheats, his strategy lately is tr- trying to get on base. And if opposing teams are going to still shift against him, where the third baseman is playing where the shortstop normally is, and leaving that gap down the left field line, Gavin Cheats is pretty comfortable, especially against a right-handed pitcher, to just bide his time for an outside pitch and drive it down the left field line to easily get singles, but maybe pick up a couple cheap doubles. I'm really curious on how that's going to work out for Gavin Sheets when the shift gets banned next year, because I think he'll see fewer shifts, and that opportunity is not going to be available. But Gavin Sheets recently has had a four-hit game. As you mentioned last night, he had three singles for the White Sox, driving in three RBIs. Maybe he's finding a groove. But the problem for the Chicago White Sox is that they desperately need more power. They desperately need more left-handed power, and the hope was that Gavin Sheets – along with Yasmani Grandal and Yohan Makata can provide that type of power for the White Sox, it's not there. And maybe at this stage, unlike last year in which a lot of teams tested Gavin Sheets and he burned them and he was aiming for the fences and that's what he was – that was his goal. I'm here to hit home runs and that's what I'm going to be focusing on. This season, I'm I'm noticing that Gavin Sheets is trying to be a more well-rounded hitter, which – You know, at times it's going well for Gavin Sheets, but he's not a speedster at all. There's not a lot of benefit to Gavin Sheets hitting singles unless there's runners in scoring position because he's not going to steal second. And if the guy behind him hits a single, he's not one to go from first to third. The White Sox need a lot more extra base hits, Vinny. They need a lot more home runs from the left side of the plate. And if Gavin Sheets is not going to be that guy, I don't know what his long-term future is with the White Sox. So yeah, he he's having a good couple of weeks, but the White Sox need more power. And if he's not the guy, then they still need to go find that power hitting left-handed bat.
0: I'm going to ask you the most controversial White Sox Twitter question right now. One of the things that gets people the most angry one way or the other. Does Tony La Russa deserve most of the blame for what has happened to the White Sox so far this season?
1: You know, that's a good question deserves most of the blame i would say no not most of the blame this roster was flawed coming into the season and we at Sox machine were ready to give rick Hahn an f for his off season before he traded craig Kimbrel for aj pollock we were big fans of aj pollock so we improved that grade to like a c plus b minus Obviously that move is not panning out. It's not panning out for either team. The Los Angeles Dodgers have a serious trust issue with Craig Kimbrell closing games and AJ Pollock, much like a lot of White Sox hitters, he can have a good week and then he disappears for like a week and a half. And the season numbers are what they are. He's having a career worst year with the Chicago White Sox in 2022. The best offseason addition for the White Sox has been Johnny Cueto and he was signed after Lance Lynn got hurt on April 5th and didn't make his first start until May 16th. That's your best off-season edition. So having that poor of an off-season leading up in what many people, especially within the White Sox organization, regarded it as a World Series or bust season, I would say Rick Hahn deserves a lot of the blame on what is at fault and what has transpired in 2022. But I will say that Tony the Rooster doesn't make it better. And Tony the Rooster was brought in to replace Rick Renteria to make it better for the White Sox, to make them more fundamentally sound and to improve on the margins. That's not happening. And now you're hearing that, well, the clubhouse culture is not that great. Well, nobody was complaining about clubhouse, clubhouse culture when Rick Renteria was building that up during the rebuild years and you moved on from Rick Renteria hoping for better decision-making from a Hall of Fame manager in Tony La Russa, you're not getting really good decision-making from the Hall of Fame manager, and the gap in 10 years managing more times than not is showing. And whatever buttons that he's trying to press is clearly not working all the time or working consistently because this team is only two games above 500. If the Chicago White Sox operated like any other major league franchise of any, I would say the chances are very good that neither Rick Conn or Tony La Russa would be returning for the 2023 season because the combination of both of them just didn't work as far as to build a championship team. Somebody else from the outside needs to come in. But this is the Chicago White Sox. Tony La Russa, the only way he's leaving is if he decides he does not have the energy anymore to be manager. Jerry Reinsdorf will not allow anyone to fire Tony La Russa. If his tenureship as owner is coming to an end soon, let's say after the 2023 season, his ownership started with Tony La Russa as manager, it's going to end with Tony La Russa as manager, and La Russa's contract goes through 2023. But the same can't be said for Rick Hahn. And while I don't think Rick Hahn's going to get fired, That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to continue with the same roles and responsibilities that he has as general manager of the Chicago White Sox. If you've been following the White Sox for a while, you will notice that when people are no longer in the positions that they are, they suddenly get this role as special advisor. And that has happened to the previous two director of Amateur Scouts and Doug Lowman. And Nick Hostetler, Uh, they were removed from those roles and they became special advisors within members of the front office, still helping with the Major League Baseball draft, but not leaving the franchise. Former hitting coach Todd Steverson got fired as the hitting coach, but now he's a special advisor to Ken Williams within the White Sox front office. The only people that truly did get fired and no longer with the organization recently is ex-pitching coach Don Cooper and ex-manager Rick Renteria. So I think there is the possibility that Rick Hahn stays within the White Sox organization, but he becomes some type of special advisor and someone else internally would be calling the shots on what to do with the roster construction. Because something that has been told to me and something that is pretty noticeable is that this is the largest payroll, player payroll in franchise history, Vinny. And they increased player payroll by more than 37%. And that was predicated on having huge sellout crowds, drawing more than 2 million fans at Guaranteed Rate Field, and reaching the postseason. That additional revenue from 2021 was going to pay for this increase, and this team was going to be truly ready for World Series or bust. If the season were to end today, they missed the postseason. And not only would they miss the postseason, the Chicago White Sox are seeing decreases in home attendance from July of 2022 compared to July of 2021. And they are seeing a double-digit attendance decrease in attendance from August of uh, 2022, to August of 2021, and in September last year, the White Sox averaged 29,000 fans per home game. And if the White Sox continue to play this type of baseball, they're going to see a huge decrease in that. When you increase player payroll and expected revenues from the games goes down, that is a combination that gets a lot of people fired in Major League Baseball. So that will be something to pay attention to if the White Sox don't make the postseason. Again, I'm sure Rick Hahn will stay within the organization, but it could be and should be someone else making the decisions and becoming the new White Sox GM. That makes a lot of sense. It's
0: a lot to take in. And this franchise, you would hope that if they do make miss the postseason, that something is done that allows them to get going forward on a great note. I do want to ask you a question that kind of has nothing to do with baseball a little bit, just a little bit of fun. When you go to guaranteed Ray Field as a fan and you're sitting around, walking around the stadium, what's your favorite
1: beer to look at to drink and what's your favorite thing to eat there? So I'm a big Modelo fan. Okay. So whether that's the Modelo or if you go to the Modelo stand in left field in the outfield concourse, there's the Modelo Negra. Uh, that's my favorite beer at the stadium. The White Sox are going to be introducing or already have introduced new food items at Guarantee Rate Field. So if you're going to this upcoming homestand, there'll be more about my food reviews on SoxMachine.com. I got a chance to try some of the new items last week. Uh, The chicken and waffle fries are awesome, but also the Bona beef bites. So imagine a Chicago beef sandwich, the Italian beef, the cheese, the giardiniera in a deep fried ball that they serve at the side of marinara, those are awesome. So if you get a chance to go to a White Sox game uh, before 2022 ends, I, I highly recommend those two, the chicken and waffle fries and the bone of beef bites.
0: I will be there on Saturday against the Arizona Diamondbacks. One of my co-hosts on my other White Sox podcast, Joe Mandel, was at the same food testing. It was last what was it? Last week when they got killed by the Astros, I believe, right? It was that- <laughs> yeah,
1: twenty-one to five. Yeah,
0: yeah. Tw- it was the twenty-one to five, just outstanding baseball game that the White Sox played that day. And he also told me about the Euro Nachos. I think yes. those are going to be on my radar as well when I'm there on Saturday night. So thank you for that little tidbit. I'm sure everybody watching will take that in and consider it for the next time they're at the stadium. I still highly encourage people to go to the stadium because we want the White Sox to be good at the end of the day. That's one thing we can all agree on. Josh, I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. I have one more question for you before we let you go. The rest of the 2020 season and what it means for the off season, what's your prediction on both?
1: Oh, a prediction. I'm going to predict that the White Sox do miss the postseason. I think the Cleveland Guardians have enough to outlast both the White Sox and Twins in winning the American League Central. The White Sox missed the postseason by, let's say, three games. And a lot of questions go into the offseason. And what's next? I think Larusa does come back as manager that he doesn't retire And 2023 is kind of a last dance for the Chicago White Sox in in a lot of ways. And the future is incredibly hazy for this franchise after the 2023 season. So I'll just leave it at all attention is to try to maximize what 2023 can be for the White Sox, because after that season, it's really unclear on what direction the franchise will be going.
0: Absolutely, I appreciate the honesty in your prediction and the transparency. I agree with you. I hope we're both dead wrong. I hope they win <laughs> 10 in a row and the guardians running. I don't I haven't looked too deeply into the guardians. Um, September schedule. I assume it's a tad bit tougher than the White Sox September schedule, but with the way the White Sox are playing, it's not like even playing against the Royals means that that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? So hopefully we're both really wrong. And I really encourage everybody to check out Josh Nelson's work on Sox Machine. Follow him on Twitter at Sox Machine Josh. Josh, Sox Machine underscore Josh. You're going to get the best White Sox tweets and coverage on the internet. I truly believe that. I'm a huge fan of your work and I can't thank you enough for coming on. Well, Vinny, thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back as a guest sometime soon. And everybody, we're going to send you to a quick commercial break. Sam, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Sim, Joe, Benny, and Gonzo. Only on the Barroom Network.
1: Yes, it's too early. I think it's quite obvious that both he and Matt Eberflus are playing the long game here. I imagine they were given a pretty long leash uh, by George McCaskey, so they aren't
0: looking to patch things together like the last regime did. I think expectations are quite modest this year because they're going to have a boatload of cap space heading into the 2023 season, potentially over $100 Now, they won't have many guys under contract, so that money's going to go fast, but Ryan Poles is taking this opportunity to build this team exactly how he wants to I think fans will be patient as patient as Bears fans get at least in 2022 because they want to see their franchise quarterback take another step forward but also understand that this isn't exactly a Super Bowl roster on paper I think this position was attracted to Ryan Poles because he saw the opportunity to build
1: this team from scratch because of the upcoming cap flexibility
0: Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am so excited to be here with you all. Josh Nelson was a fantastic guest. I am a huge fan of his tweets. I'm always liking his tweets. I'm always enjoying the content that they put out. He's very big with the 108 guys, and I think those guys are just outstanding. Um, I got to know them a little bit because my sock summer decided to write a hit piece on me. About the White Sox hitting more home runs. I thought they needed to. He disagreed, said I was basic, and he was wrong. And I love each and every one of them so so much. And I highly encourage following all of them. And Josh is just great, great, great White Sox Twitter personality. So make sure you follow at socks machine underscore Josh. Earlier this week, Major League Baseball released their MLB pipeline prospect rankings and they rank each and every organization in the league, 1 through 30, based on the prospects within their organization. Of course, the Chicago White Sox for a long time within the last five years were in the top 10 because of players like Dylan Cease, Yoan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Garrett Crochet, Andrew Vaughn, um, I feel like, oh, Michael Kopech. Lots of great players. They've all graduated. Okay, they're all on the major league roster right now. And Crochet's out for the year because he's heard he'll be back next year. Tommy John, I believe he's one of the best, the highest highest ceiling pitchers in the organization. I hope he works out his Tommy John well and he'll be back next year. But all those guys graduating pushed the White Sox down all the way to 30th out of 30 going into this season. But the midseason rankings came out. And the evolution of a couple of their prospects have gotten them from the 30th-ranked farm system to the 26th-ranked farm system. And, oh, 26th, it's not that good. Of course it's not. But it's a lot more respectable than dead last. And the teams that – I believe the team that wasn't dead last was the Los Angeles Angels, who aren't good on the field either, and they're dead last. They're, They're way worse off than the White Sox even. But I'm going to go through a couple of the White Sox top prospects that I'm super excited about. Obviously, number one, and the reason the White Sox probably made a four-team jump, or I guess it's technically a five-team jump in these rankings, is Colson Montgomery. He was drafted by the White Sox in the first round of the 2021 Major League Baseball prospect draft, and he's just been so good. He climbed all the way to the White Sox top prospect and. Pretty quick order. And now he's officially a top 100 prospect in Major League Baseball. And the White Sox, for a while there, didn't have a top 100 prospect once Madrigal was traded and Vaughn got called up and copex no longer considered a prospect. So credit to Colson Montgomery. He's amazing. I do believe he will play middle infield for the White Sox in the future. At number two was Oscar Colas. He's not a top 100 prospect, but he's just outside the top 100. They don't have an official ranking of anybody outside of the top 100, but. A lot of people believe he is just outside of the top 100, probably within 120, and he should see himself into the top 100 soon enough. Noah Schultz, the the first-round draft pick of the White Sox in the 2021 draft, is the number three prospect. The White Sox have a number three prospect that has yet to play a professional game. Some people see that as a bad thing, like hitting their depth of the organization. I actually think it's a good thing. MLB Pipeline sees a guy who hasn't played a game yet this high in, a, in the White Sox organization. And at number four is Lenin Sosa, who Noah Schultz passed. Lenin Sosa hasn't had that great of an MLB debut, but wow, was he good in Double A before getting called up. And he's been pretty good in A too. And it's going to take time before he's an everyday regular baseball player. If he ever becomes one in Major League Baseball, at minimum, it's good to see that he has risen the way he has. Another person I wanted to shout out, the number 12 prospect, Davis Martin, has not graduated into being considered not a prospect anymore. Well, guess what? He has made some really good starts for the Chicago White Sox this season in spot start situations, and I'm excited to see what he can bring going forward. They called up Tanner Banks when they put Michael Kopech on the injured list. I'm assuming that's just to eat up some bullpen innings. I have a feeling that for Michael Kopech's next scheduled start, which is supposed to be Saturday... They probably will send Tanner Banks down, and I assume Davis Martin will get the call to start that game, unless they keep Tanner Banks and use Reynaldo Lopez or use somebody else to make the start. Um, Vince Velasquez, I guess, is another option, but it'd be cool if they called up Davis Martin. There's one issue with these rankings that kind of scares me a little bit. Yoelki Cespedes went from being in the top five of Chicago White Sox prospects to now being ranked as the number 13 guy. He fell off about spots in the White Sox organizational prospect rankings. That's not good. If Suspit is hit a little bit, they'd probably be a little bit higher than 26th in the rankings, but that's just the way it is. I also wanted to shout out Sean Burke, right-handed pitcher, estimated time of arrival in Major League Baseball is 2024. We'll see if he's actually able to live up to that type of hype, but he is the number nine prospect. He started way lower than that. He's been on this show Crosstown Crosstalk. And he was an outstanding interview. I enjoyed having him on. Nice kid. And due to that reason, I'm kind of rooting for him a little bit harder than everybody. And I'm excited that he's finally a top 10 White Sox prospect. He deserves it. Moving over to the Chicago Cubs, who for a long time didn't have that good of a farm system, right? They were too busy trying to win at the MLB level. And their prospect farm took a little bit of a hit and they fell in the rankings a lot. But Their newfound rebuild has gotten them back into the upper echelon of Major League Baseball prospect farms, and they now rank 10th. They are officially, barely but officially, a top 10 prospect farm, and a lot of that has to do with their number one overall prospect, Peter Crow Armstrong. For those who don't know, Peter Crow Armstrong was the return for the Chicago Cubs, in the trade that landed the New York Mets, Javier Baez. Baez was traded to the Mets for PCR, uh PCA, and I almost said PCR, PCA, and he has developed way better than the Mets would have thought. He even developed better than the Cubs would have thought. For the third best player, the Cubs traded away last year out of Riz O'Brien Baez. Baez is the third best. They got the best prospect. And Peter Crown Armstrong also came in as the 31st overall prospect in all of baseball. So the Cubs farm system really, really jumping up there. The last time that their farm system was ranked in the top 10, they turned it into a World Series, and that's just a fact. You know, hearing it from me means it probably means something. Their number two prospect, Brennan Davis, also an outfielder. Their top three prospects are all outfielders, Peter Crow Armstrong, Brendan Davis, and then number three, Kevin Alcantara. Brennan Davis has also been on this show. Super nice kid rooting for him. I hope he hits and becomes a real good major league baseball player dealt with some injury this season. It's not the developmental year that he was hoping to have. He's not going to make his MLB debut in all likelihood this season. I'm I'm not even sure if he's out for the year. He might actually be out for the year. I'm going to have to do some research on that, but Brennan Davis, he is going to be an impactful MLB player and the Cubs are on the rise. Um, Looking at the entire division that the white Sox and the Cubs play in, it's not all doom and gloom for them in terms of the future. The White Sox, a lot of their futures on their active roster. And as Josh Nelson pointed out, 2023 is going to be a big year for evaluating that and seeing how the franchise moves forward from there. The problem is that at 26, the White Sox are the lowest ranked prospect farm in their own division. And it's kind of odd. The Kansas City Royals, Detroit Tigers, and Minnesota Twins are all stacked on top of each other in their division ranked 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, respectively. The problem, the big problem, You heard Josh talk about the Cleveland guardians and how he thinks he, they are going to pull away and win the uh, American league central division. He might be right. And the big problem is they're the youngest team in the league. They don't have that high of a payroll and they're still winning at the MLB level. It makes it even worse that they are the third ranked farm system in all of major league baseball. The team in first place of the division has the best farm system and the youngest roster And he's right. They play a brand of baseball that just infuriates the Chicago White Sox and is very difficult to play against. Jose Ramirez is one of the very best hitters in all of baseball, and he's very, very good defensively over there at third base as well. So that's a problem for the White Sox, that the best team in their division this year has the best farm system. Hopefully the White Sox are able to turn things around this offseason, figure out some things for certain players, and get back to 2023 on a winning note because their prospect farm isn't all that good. They have to try and rebuild it while winning at the MLB level. We'll see if they're able to. As far as the Cubs stacking up against their division, there are two teams in their division ranked higher than them. The Cincinnati Reds, according to MLB Pipeline, have the fourth best prospect farm in all of baseball. The two Ohio teams ranked third and fourth, both in the White Sox and Cubs division. At um, number seven is the Pittsburgh Pirates who rank a couple spots ahead of the Cubs at number seven. Of course, the Cubs sit there at 10 and then trailing the Cubs and the two teams ahead of them from their division. The St. Louis Cardinals who are probably going to win the NL central are in 13th and the Milwaukee Brewers are in 19th. So all the teams are in the top 25. All of them are in the top 20, but Really, the only one who might have the most impactful one right now is the Reds, Pirates, and Cubs, but we'll see what happens going forward. The Cubs are on the rise in terms of their prospect farm. A lot of their roster next year is going to be guys who are young on their current roster but we'll see what happens if they go out and sign a big free agent fish and then try to actually be a competitive team in that division because we don't know how the Brew Crew is going to be next year. We, I, I assume the Cardinals are going to be a pretty good team next year, but the Pirates and Reds are probably going to be even worse than they are this year. At least the Reds will be. The Pirates might be right there with the Cubs looking for like that third place thing. But then again, the Pirates this year has turned into a crap show for them as well. So we'll see where each team, White Sox and Cubs, go from there. Um, to wrap up the show, I want to talk about one more team in terms of these prospect rankings. Well, actually two. First, we'll give a nod to the Baltimore Orioles. I've been a big Baltimore Orioles fan this season. When they're not playing a team, you know, I'm not going to say I'm like a fanatic of the Baltimore Orioles. I'm a fan of what they do, I guess is what I should say. And they called up Adley Rushman, who was one of the number, uh, one of the best prospects in all of baseball going into this season. He graduated. He's not even considered a prospect anymore. And Baltimore still has the number one farm system in all of baseball. So they're not world beaters at the MLB level yet, but they are going to be very good very soon. You start inserting some of these top prospects that make them so good into their lineup going into next year, and there's a chance that they turn into something special. The number one, They have the number two prospect in all of baseball and the number four prospect in all of baseball. Gunnar Henderson is a shortstop slash third baseman. He's number two in all of baseball, as I mentioned. And then Grayson Rodriguez, number four of all in all of baseball. There's no reason to underestimate what the Orioles are going to do over the next couple years. And then number two prospect farm in all of baseball is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, that team, that team that's so good at the MLB level has the number two prospect farm in all of baseball. You can't just go out there and say after seeing this, that the only reason the Dodgers are good is because they spend a lot of money. That's just not, I mean, they spend a lot of money and that helps, but they also spend it properly. Their farm system is perfect. Their money is spent on resources to draft and develop the right prospects and use them to their advantage. When Mookie Betts becomes available, they have the prospect capital to go trade for him. When Trey Turner and Max Scherzer become available in the same trade, they have the prospect capital to go get them. They were in on Juan Soto. They lost out to the San Diego Padres, but they had the capital to get Juan Soto. The Dodgers or the Padres were just a little bit quicker to the punch and they got him but the Dodgers very well could have got them and they're just so good at using their money. Diego Cartea is their number one prospect. He is the number nine prospect in all of baseball. The Dodgers deserve everyone's respect. It's a shame that a team that good has a prospect farm that good, but you can't do anything but respect them. They are going to be very good for a long time. There's a good chance they win the world series this season and then they're going to have all these prospects to fill in for anybody that leaves. And if a big talent becomes available, let's say the Tampa Bay Rays make Tyler Glas now available during the offseason. Very possible. The Dodgers are going to try and go for him. That's just what they do. They signed Trevor Bauer in free agency. When he came out to be somebody who's no longer affiliated with the team because of personal off-the-field uh, related issues with the law and whatnot, They they didn't blink. Okay, they let him go and they're replacing him with other good players. Oh, Walker Bueller's out for the rest of this this season and all of next season. We'll see what they do to figure out that situation. But we know they're going to. They made a mistake trading for Craig Kimbrell. They don't trust him, as Josh Nelson mentioned. But guess what? They don't care. They'll pay Craig Kimbrell to not play. They don't they don't care. They will use their resources to replace him and continue being one of the best teams in the league. They have my respect. I appreciate everybody for tuning into today's show. That was one of my favorite shows I've ever done. Josh Nelson is incredibly gifted with his analysis on sports and what he does for the White Sox online is so great. I highly encourage everybody to check him out. And I'm so excited for what the future holds for the MLB season. Not necessarily our Chicago teams this season, but the the rest of the season in September and all of the playoffs is going to be magnificent theater. I highly encourage everybody to watch baseball and continue on with keeping up with what's going on so you know what to do for this show. Um, The Barroom Network doing outstanding things for the other shows, right? Football's coming up. Our hockey show has not missed a beat all summer long. We got big news about Phil Kessel going to the Vegas Golden Knights last night, and we're going to break that down on our next show next Wednesday. Me and the South Burbs Hitman are going to go into detail on what's going on with the White Sox even further on Monday's show. Mike North had a show today that you can check out on Spotify, Apple, Twitch, YouTube, anywhere you could find a podcast video or audio version. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that great show and all the football shows, basketball is coming back. So got a lot of good stuff coming up on the Barroom Network. I highly encourage everybody to check it out. I will be back on the network on Monday night with the South Burbs Hitman, as I already mentioned. I can't thank Josh Nelson enough for coming on the show. Once again, make sure you follow at SoxMachine underscore Josh. And I am on Twitter at Vinnie Parisi. As always, stay healthy, stay family, stay baseball. Thank you for listening.
1: Another happy landing.